Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Church, I want to introduce you to Dr. Mark Devine. He is the Associate Professor of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School. He has served the church as a pastor, a missionary, a scholar, an author, a teacher, a mentor, the list goes on. We can't clap and welcome him right now, but how you can honor his presence with us today is by preparing your own heart to hear what he has to say from God's word. Do that now, and Dr. Devine, we will hear you gladly. great to be here at Southside Baptist Church. I so appreciate the invitation to come from Christopher. We miss him at Beeson very much and are very much in prayer and in support of what he's doing here. I want us to look today at a passage that I've known my whole life, but it was not a passage that was really emphasized in church when I was being uh, spiritually formed, but I think it's a very important passage and one that's especially needed in these days that we're living through. It's in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 12. This is what Paul writes. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. The first thing I want to note about this passage is that it addresses a subject that was not put at the center of our preaching or our Sunday school or our spiritual formation when I was growing up in a Baptist church. Other things were put at the center. And they're very important things, and they're vital things. And if we lose those, uh, we wouldn't be a church. We had emphasized for us Sunday after Sunday that we were lost, and we were alienated from God, and that the only way that we could be reconciled to God was through the birth and death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Only by turning in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ could we be saved. And that meant that our sins would be forgiven, we would be adopted into the family of God, and we would gain eternal life. And this passage, it does relate to one of those. It's the being adopted into the family of God. This is a passage that is about the church. It's not about being saved. It's not about what's going to happen in the next world. It's a passage about what God is doing with those he saves in this world. And so it's extraordinarily relevant because we're, we're seeing what God is doing in Jesus Christ and what matters to him. Now I want to say something else about the passage that is interesting and is worthy of us taking note of. When we think of religion, when we think of Christianity, and when we think of the Bible, we often think of a list of do's and don'ts. Now, the reason we think that way is because the Bible does have many do's and don'ts. We worship a God who wants certain things done, and He wants other things not done. And so, be wary of yourself or anyone else who says, I don't want any do's and don'ts, because our God is all about that. But this passage is not really like that. This is a passage that tells us other things. It tells us what God is doing, what He cares about, what is true, what is reality, which is different from a do or a don't. He's telling us like you would tell someone that gra what gravity is. Gravity is a reality. All right, Gravity will accelerate an object 9.8 meters per second squared in space. 
And that's a reality. It's not a do or a don't. But if you believe that reality and understand it, there are things you won't do, and there are other things you will do. Some of you in this congregation are old enough to remember the name Art Linkletter. And uh, he had a daughter, and she took LSD. And she thought she could fly. And she was as sincere as she could be about that. And she leapt off of a skyscraper in Chicago, and she died. Why? Because of the reality of gravity. Well, God tells us things like this. He tells us realities, things that are true, regardless of whether you believe it or not. And that's so important. And all parents realize this. We tell our children things that are true, that they're not capable of testing. They can't. If they're wise, they will trust what we tell them is true because they believe in us. They believe we love them, that we know more than them, that we have their best interests at heart. And so they will believe what we tell them. And if that is appropriate and prudent for a child in relationship to their parents who love them, how much more so is it true between us and Almighty God? And so he tells us these realities. And the reality he tells us about here is he tells us what he does with every person who turns to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. He puts them into the body of Christ, the church. Uh, these books like this, this letter, it was a letter not to a single person, but to a whole church. And these letters were actually read out before local churches, and they heard them together. Now, when I first went to seminary and uh, began to learn certain things, sometimes you would think, well, why are we learning this? Many of us recall learning algebra and trigonometry, and we thought, we'll never use this. And in many cases, we were right. We didn't ever use it. And some people, when they begin to learn foreign languages, they think that. They start learning Greek. When will we use this? When I started learning the Greek of the New Testament, I realized very early on this is very helpful. And one of the main reasons is because of the word you. The second person, singular and plural in English, we use the same word, you, you. But in the Greek, it's a different word for you, singular, and you, plural. And that becomes very, very important. Now, we Southerners have tried to correct that situation by giving the world y'all and all y'all. And when you read the New Testament in Greek, it has you and it has y'all in it. And every time you see the word you in this passage, it's y'all. And this message is to us that when we become Christians, without our knowing it perhaps, or understanding it fully, certainly we don't understand it fully, we're being told here, when you come to me, Jesus is saying, I put you into the body of Christ and you become part of a y'all that is my body. It's the way by which I make myself present in this world. It's not the only way, but it is a central way. And this is something I do because I'm wise. I know what is best. I know how I've designed you, how I... I know what my purposes are. And whether you like it or not, this has happened. You've become part of the church. You've been made a member of the church. Member is a very important word in the Bible. 
All my life I've known people who would be at church but never join, and they may have had all sorts of, of interesting, deep, sophisticated reasons why they didn't join. But when you look in the Bible, you find that membership matters to God. You've been made a member. And so when you join a local church, you're kind of acknowledging what God has already done. You're saying, you're saying yes to what God has said. And so he's put us together into this thing called the church that Jesus died for. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died for those things I mentioned earlier. He died so our sins could be forgiven. He died so that we could have eternal life. But he also died to, so that he could build his church and make us members of his body. And then we get to the place in the passage that means something special to me because I remember it so well as a child, the first time I ever encountered this passage. It was in a sermon. And the, mem the parts of the body, the members of the body, start talking to each other. It's really a wild and crazy metaphor, isn't it? If the foot should say to the hand, that got my attention as a child. Now, this part of the passage is very, very interesting because what Paul is doing he is anticipating, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that there will be those who are truly saved. And they've been put into the body of Christ. And they don't realize it. And that's why they have to be told this. This is revelation. This is not something that you just figure out because you've become a Christian. Somebody needs to tell you this. Paul is telling them, I've put you in the body. And you're a member of the body. But... Paul, God through Paul and the Holy Spirit is anticipating that there will be those who become Christians and they wrongly believe a lie that they're not part of the body. And that's why it says, if the foot should say to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. And then what does it say? It says that the foot is not for that reason any less a part of the body. See, this is a reality like gravity. It's not up for a vote. It's like you telling a child that they're an heir to a kingdom. Whether they believe it or not doesn't change the reality. But whether they believe it or not can change whether they gain the benefits of this blessing or squander them. If you tell a child you have this particular medical condition, they may believe it or not. But if they believe it, then they can gain the benefit from knowing it and avoid those things that could cause them trouble health-wise. If they disbelieve it, they will bring unnecessary harm on themselves. That's what we're being taught here. When we come to Christ, we're made a member of the body. And it goes on to say that part of this is because what God is doing with us requires members that are different from each other. And that's obvious to us when we think about the the physical body, if we, if we reflect upon it. If I see something I want, I can't satisfy the desire to have that thing I want unless I have feet that work and hands that work. And so the hands need the eye, and the eye needs the hands, and on and on it goes. But when we come to Jesus Christ, it's not obvious to us that we need the church, or it might not be, especially in this day. We're living in a day, I saw a book, the title was, They Love Jesus, But They Hate the Church. Well, the more we read the scriptures, we realize that's not possible. It's not just bad. It's not really possible because Jesus himself is all invested in the church. He calls it his body. And he's put us together in this relationship with each other so that we are mutually interdependent upon each other like the members of the body. 
And so we're taught something here that is, first of all, it's true whether we like it or not, and it has consequences whether we like it or not. But it's a very, very beautiful thing that we're being taught. God designed us to need to be in the body. See, he loves us. He's doing this because he loves us and he knows what's best for us and he knows what his purposes are for us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he's put us in a situation in which there are various things that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here's what we know. I know that you need me. Not because I've assessed myself and found myself to be divine, even though I am, and that's a lot of pressure every time I wake up, because God has told me that you need me because he's put me in the body. And it says here, the, the foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. It's a lie when we say that. You need me. And here's another thing we know. I need you. And you can say that to every brother and sister in Christ that you have. And we should think here, not in the first instance of the universal church, every Christian needs every Christian. We should think of it in terms of the local body of believers. This letter was written to a local body of believers for specific reasons of that church, but it's teaching us that we are particularly to recognize, to acknowledge that that. You, you yourself have a role to play that only you can play in the church where you are. You might not know exactly what that is, and it would be better if you did, but you're told by God this is the case. You're needed by this body of Christ, and you need the other members of the body. And so, whereas in the physical body, we can just believe it based on our experience, in the church, sometimes we... We have to believe the same way we believe in the next life. None of us have been to the next life. We believe that based on faith in the Word of God. And this is the way we should approach how we understand our relationship to our pastor, to the staff, to our fellow members in the church, that on faith of the Word of God, you say, you love Jesus, just give me Jesus, all I need is Jesus. Well, when you love someone, it's not real love if you don't care about what they care about. How do you love Jesus, but he's telling us what he cares about? The first time I fell in love, it was with a girl named Sharon Green, Rollerland Skating Rink. And when I met her and I saw her, I was a basket case. You would have to take shots before you went into my room at home. So I went to, I had an aunt who was like three and a half years older than me. She was like a sister. And I said, you got to help me. And so what did I do? I found out from Sharon Green's friends what did she love? What did she like? And I started buying products like uh, Clearasil and Vitalis. Some of you are old enough, you know what Vitalis is. And I tried to clean myself up, and I did everything in my power. I, I became her slave. You know, the Bible says we become slaves of Christ. I was a slave of Sharon Green, and she didn't even know it. And uh, she never did welcome it. But I was in love, and I studied what she liked, what she wanted. And that's what we'll do with Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus Christ? This is what he cares about. And so we know that each of us is needed by uh, the church. And we need those who are in the church. And we know this because God has told us that, is, that it is the case. And we need each other, and we need to be together with each other. Now... We live in a world in which suicide is going up. 
Why do people commit suicide? Well, sometimes we don't know, but sometimes we're told. They write, they leave letters. And very often, and some of you who have been depressed, I've been depressed before. Some of you have been depressed before. You have friends who've been depressed before. And one of the things that very often people who are very depressed will say is, they say, I, I'm not needed. The world will be better off without me. I have nothing to contribute. Well, we know that in Christ, that's a lie. That's a lie. We know it. Now, it, one of the most loving things that any of us can do is to be alert to and actually study to be able to say to our brother and sister in Christ what they bring to the table that we would be missing if they were gone. It's a beautiful thing to do. Look through the directory. I know uh, your pastor sent me a directory, and I looked at your faces before I can't. I can't see them now, but I did look at them because Christopher sent them to me. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing and a, and a thing that is justified by this passage for you to get that directory and look through it and, and pick out a person or two and pray for those people and ponder those people. What, what is it that would be, we would be so missing if they were not here. And if you can get specific about it, you should tell them somehow. You should communicate with them somehow. Another thing we can do is we can call out the gifts of others. We can say, you know, I think you would be good at this. God made us to be of service to each other. When people feel they're of no service to each other, very often they don't want to live anymore. They decide, I've met people, they said, you know, no one would be, would be upset if I were gone. And sometimes I've been in situations where I'm called upon to be pastor to people. I'm really not their pastor. And they were right about that. They had no friends. They were very alone. People are afraid of being alone today, and they have good reason to be because many people are being left alone. And what, what we know is that God didn't make us to be alone. We are really needed. And we also need to be of service to each other. It's good to, to, be, to be dissatisfied when you don't see how you're being of service to people. And so one of the best things we can do is to call people's gifts out so they are actually in service to others and to tell people, you're in service to me and it really matters to me and they might not even realize the impact they were having. You might not have realized the impact they were having. We always say when, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And many of us who've lost a loved one, we realize the great gap that was left. And now perhaps we even think of words. We don't, this is not true anymore. This is not true anymore. I have a mother-in-law who's 90 years old. I love her dearly. She's 90 years old. I'm already anticipating how different the world will be without her. And so the last couple of years, I try to tell her what she, she has meant to me and to so many others. The church is supposed to be like that. And so Paul is anticipating that in, in the church, that there will be those who don't realize that they belong in this way. We are made for each other. Um, I want to end with uh, a story about something that happened at a church when I was a pastor in Indiana. I was a pastor there when I was doing my Ph.D. studies. And by that time in my life, I realized that it was much more likely for people to leave a church when the pastor that they had left the church because the pastor that, that they joined under, 
And somehow, some miracle, there were people that joined the church while I was there. I lost a lot of respect for them that they joined while I was there, but they did. And I didn't want them to leave. People don't realize oftentimes how their attachment to the church is tied up with who the pastor is. And so I had meetings with uh, those people who had joined while I was there when I knew I was leaving. And I asked them, what do you want church to be like? And they said many different things. They said, we want it to be like a family. We want it to be a place where when we have trouble, there are people who surround us to help us. We want it to be a place when there are uh, things to celebrate in our life. We, we celebrate those things together. And they listed all these things. And I said, well, uh, do you think the Pevlers, the Shills, and the Nerets have those things? These were longtime families in the church. And they all just nodded. And I said, well, how do you think they got it? The one thing they had to do to have it is to stay. Now, I'm not saying that a person should never leave a church. There are reasons to leave a church. But we need to know this, that this great thing Jesus died to give us, to make us an actual family of God with real siblinghood, brothers and sisters together, where we play out in a way that reflects the love that we've had from Christ with each other, suffering love together and celebratory love together as a family we'll have to start all over on that if we move because when we look at what's happening here in first corinthians 12 we're talking about real communal bonds of fellowship that are that are intricate and deep and functioning and of course that takes time it takes time to build trust with one another and if we move, we lose it. Now, we're tempted in our world to do that because we judge our commitment. It's really not a commitment. Our attendance or, you know, thin commitment by whether we feel ourselves being helped week by week. And what that means is, is that the church is on trial, the pastor's on trial, my brothers and sisters are on trial. And in a way, we're kind of treating the church like a steakhouse. But when we read this passage, we realize how foolhardy that is, actually how dangerous it is. Because you see, the way we're treating the body of Christ is the opposite of the way he treats us and teaches us what love is. Love is steadfast love. It's a bridge-burning love. It's love that is more like the vows we take when we marry till death do us part. And so where there is no commitment like that to each other, we can't expect to enjoy the depths of fellowship that Jesus died on the cross to give us so that we, we know we're not alone. We know there's a place we truly belong. There's a place where we actually serve and are served and can expect those things going forward. And so I said this to those folks because I realized that they, might, they weren't as attached to the church as they might have been if they'd been there for many generations. But no matter who you are or how long you've been in a town, if we want to read a passage like that and know Jesus Christ this way, it will take time, it will take a commitment to each other that recognizes that our commitment to each other is bound up with our commitment to Jesus. If we're skipping around and putting every relationship on trial in a way that God doesn't put us on trial in our relationship with him. What if he treated us that way? He would have thrown me away a long time ago. But if we don't do that, 
will never understand and know the depths, not only of how great and wonderful Jesus is, but the fullness of the benefits he purchased for us. And the one we're emphasizing today is he purchased the benefit of the family of God that all of us were meant to be full participant members in. And my prayer for you and for myself is that we will know that communion and that fellowship and that bond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. But today we thank you especially for the church, the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that on the basis of your word, we know that it's in your church that we belong. It's there that we know we have something to offer. There is a service for us to provide. And it's there where you mean for us to be served by one another. And that in this fellowship, you make the church itself a witness to what is coming in the next world where not only will there be no more pain or crying, but where there will be no more division or strife and where we will all have a place at the table with the brothers and sisters we know in you. In the name of Jesus we pray and for his sake, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.